please be seated. Well, we're continuing our sermon series in Revelation, and uh, we come to a new section in the visions that the Apostle John had. In a way, this is a, a completely different vision uh, from the one that he, ones he had before. Remember that Revelation overall is the vision that the Lord gave John of the Lord Jesus Christ as he is now reigning in heaven. John knew a lot about Jesus on earth, probably as much as anyone. He walked about with him when he was here, and he went around, of course, and he was very close to the Lord. He was known as a disciple that Jesus loved. That's what he, he called himself. And Jesus walked with him and with the other apostles, and it was their task that God gave them to, by God's enabling spirit, to enable, enable them to give us a record of all that Jesus did that would be fruitful for us to know. So they put that in Scripture for us, and that has been passed along to us. But Jesus told John and others that he was going to the Father in glory and that he would reign there until all of his enemies were put under his feet. That had been prophesied of him. And then John got this special opportunity to get a glimpse of him there. He walked with him here and he got to see visions of him there and to pass that along to us so that we could have the encouragement and confidence of knowing what is going on with our reigning Lord in heaven and how he engages with us who are here still on the earth. And that's really what Revelation shows so much of is the relationship between heaven and earth with spiritual images that show this. Images of spiritual things, I should say. Uh, images of spiritual things that John saw that depict that. If you remember that John said that if we read this book, right at the beginning when he was given these revelations, he said, uh, you'll be blessed. He said, uh, Revelation 1-3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So it's very helpful for us to see what Christ is doing now and to be encouraged and strengthened by that. We, the world can look like it's running out of control. As we embark on this new section in Revelation, we see the opening verses of this section, which is in uh, chapter 4, by the way. Uh, we see the, in the opening verses that John is summoned to come up to heaven. Perhaps like Paul, he would have testified afterward, whether in body or out of body, I do not know. <laughs> but I, I went and saw things that were, you know, were the things John saw were things he was supposed to speak about, but... Uh, John tells us that, as before, when he was, uh, had the vision uh, in chapter 1, that um, he said that he was in the Spirit. So there was a, uh, he didn't stay in the Spirit. Of course, we're in the Spirit all the time in one sense. But he's talking about in a special revelation of prophecy, he was in the Spirit. And so that happened to him again. The Lord tells him that he is not now going to show him the things to come. We need to understand, and I really want you to get this, because I think people just don't get this today, that the visions are not visions of material things, but of invisible things visualized. You know, spiritual things visualized, made visible in a vision. 
For example, we saw in chapter 1, I illustrated this to you before, Jesus is walking around seven lampstands and he's got seven stars in his hands. It, that does not, the, it's a vision. It doesn't mean that Jesus is somewhere walking around with lampstands and, and stars that he's holding in his hand. We, to, we were told that the, the lampstands were churches. So those lampstands represent churches in the vision, showing that Jesus is intimately related with his churches and with their ministers now that he's up there. That's what the vision shows us. Not that we could go somewhere and see Jesus walking around lampstands. That's not what, that's not what this is about. It's about that he is actually connected with us, and this is a way of showing it and depicting it to us. Uh, the vision that we are looking at today is similar to that. It's not about glorified saints worshiping Him in heaven, but it's rather showing us visions of His reign from heaven over His people on earth, and in these visions showing us their connection with Him and their worship of Him. Okay, uh, It's depicted through these symbols that we see how we today, as we gather together before the Lord, as we worship Him, are connected with Him who is reigning in glory. Um, we'll have more to say about this as we go along. But let's proceed with our reading. And that reading is the entire fourth chapter of Revelation. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. So again, there's a transition here. It looks like John maybe had a little bit of a rest after the last vision. And he saw the, uh, the letter that was for the seventh church. And then he's like, okay, you know, there's a little, little breather. And then he says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take, much, which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices, Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a, lying, a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who, sits, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. 
There we end the reading of God's holy and infallible word. Blessed are those who hear and who keep the prophecy of this book. It's tempting to go on and read chapter 5 as well because it flows right along with this same vision. And really, you know, we have in chapter 4 the worship of God, our Creator. In chapter 5, the worship of God, our Creator, through the Mediator and the worship of the Mediator Himself in chapter 5. So we probably have a couple of sermons in chapter 5. But today we will limit ourselves to chapter 4, where we're shown the relationship that we have as God's people on earth today to our Creator, God our Creator. We'll look at three things that are shown us in John's vision. First, our Creator's sovereign rule over His creation. Second, our Creator's fatherly care of us. And third, our worship of our Creator. Okay, so let's, let's begin. What, are, what, are, what we have here, again, are visual representations of these things. Okay, first, our Creator's sovereign rule over us. How is that visualized in the images that were shown to John? What, what did it look like? Well, there's a throne, and the throne is dominant in this whole chapter. It permeates the whole, this whole chapter 4. It's the first thing that John mentions, interestingly, when he, when, the vision, when he begins to describe the vision. Look at verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. That's the first thing that stands out, the prominent thing. There's a throne. He goes up, a throne. And uh, there's one who is there. It's what captivates his attempt, attention. A throne, of course, is a seat of authority a place from which one rules. And of course, this throne was not empty. He sees one who is seated on this throne of heaven. It is, uh, uh, it is, is it meant to be God the Father? Or God the Son? Or God the Spirit that he sees here? Or the triune God? Again, it's an image of God. God doesn't look like he, something. He, he doesn't have a body. He doesn't have a, a material makeup. But I think this is, we could say, especially depicting the Father because the Son appears later on. Like I say, this vision goes on in chapter 5, and He appears in different ways because, again, it's a vision. It's not that Jesus looks like a lamb all the time. <laughs> in the visions, He can change because it's a vision that's showing things that are true of Him. But uh, anyway, He appears in other ways, and the Holy Spirit appears as the, we're, we're going to see in a few minutes with the, the seven lamps that are there. So we can say God the Father is, is what we're seeing, the God, our Creator. Now the throne, though, is central to the entire vision. Notice that it's mentioned again and again. A rainbow is said to be around the throne in verse 3. Around the throne are 24 elders, verse 4. From the throne proceed lightnings and thunderings and voices, verse 5. Before the throne are several are seven lamps. Before the throne is a sea of glass. In the midst of the throne and around the throne are four living creatures. I believe that there is an emphasis on the throne. <laughs> and look at verses 8 through 11. It refers to God repeatedly as what? The one who sits on the throne. He sits while his creatures worship him in that section, and he has all dominion and authority 
from the throne because he is the Lord. So the throne is prominent in the vision because the throne is the prominent thing for God's people who have been reconciled to him. What is our confession as Christians? He is Lord. So the saints on the earth come before God whom they had spurned and who they said, I will not have him to rule over. He is our Lord and we are reconciled to him as our God. So we worship the God that we recognize, as the world would deny, we recognize rules over heaven and earth. We worship him because he rules, because he is Lord of all. God reveals this to his true saints. If you do not serve the Lord as Lord, you do not know him as Lord. What does it mean to serve him as Lord? It means that you obey him, that you seek to please him and do his will, and that when you don't, which we sometimes don't in our sin and weakness, that you repent and you reconcile. You don't just go on as if it doesn't matter, if it's irrelevant, that he's ruling. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with you. And the vision shows that those who are connected with God are connected with God enthroned. Very, very important. We also need to see for our encouragement that God is enthroned. We live in a world where if we just look at things going on around us and governments and nations and the movement of wars and all these things, we would become overwhelmed and say, this is all chaos. It's all out of control. It's just flying all over the place. But you see, what do we see in this vision? What do we as God's people, how are we connected to this one as the one who's ruling on the throne, who has dominion over all of these things? It's not all out of control. We recognize the sovereign Lord so that we can be calm when everything is in an upheaval in the world and even in our own personal lives. Here in this vision, you see the curtain is pulled back to say, this is your relationship, you people who are part of the church with your God. You know him as the one who is ruling and carrying out his purposes. What does Revelation show us later? He unleashes all of these awful things on the earth to bring judgment and stuff. And it's not that just this stuff just happened. It just randomly happened out of somewhere. It's that he who is, has dominion and all authority has sent this about. He sent messengers to come and bring these things, to bring death, to bring destruction, because he's judging his enemies. He's judging our world. And he brings it all about to at last establish his glorious righteous kingdom. We know him as the one on the throne and we can go through life trusting him and knowing that he is in control. We have no cause for dread. He works all things, the Bible tells us, after the counsel of his own will. Even the wicked are for his glory, for his purpose. He's appointing them for the day of judgment. His sovereign rule then as our creator and sustainer permeates this chapter because it permeates the church of God, their, their connection with, with, with him. Now let's move on. The second thing that we see here is our creator's fatherly care for us. First, we see something of that as his image bearers. Now, this is a little bit, this is a little bit of a difficult one to interpret here. And there's different ways, really, that we could look at it. But we're not given much information. We're told that he somehow is like 
These two stones, Jasper and a Sardius stone. Very beautiful stones, precious stones that were prized by God's people. So we could say beautiful, um, precious, um, all of these things. He's he certainly like that. There's something striking about these stones, though, and the fact that they're mentioned. If you look back in the Old Testament, there's a whole lot of Old Testament imagery here. Then you'll find that the Jasper and the Sardius were the, you remember the priest had a, a breastplate and he had stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. The first and the last stone. Why? You know, we, we don't necessarily know for sure, but it seems to have some kind of connection. Perhaps it's a part for the whole. It can, it, it, and so in other words, what are God's people before Him? They are like Him. We've been renewed in the image of Him who created us. Our Creator. We were supposed to always be in His image, but because we fell, we still represent Him, but we represent Him wrongly. Okay? We're supposed to be like precious stones. He's like a precious stone and the same stones that He used to represent us, which is really beautiful. We are like Him. God has predestined His people to be conformed to the image of His Son. And that's what He's working out as He works in us. Again, there may be a different way of looking at some of these things that we aren't given details about, but trying to just say what it says without adding or or, or taking away from it. It's certainly a true thing in any case that we are renewed in His image when we have come to Him. It's one of our most important characteristics of uh, the blessing that He gives to His people. It's a marvelous thing. And marvelous that He would represent us with the same thing He represents Himself. His people with the same thing He represents Himself. The second emblem that shows His relationship to His creation is the rainbow. Now try to picture this. You know, there's the throne and him seated on the throne. We're not told all what he looks like, right? It's, a start, it's like a, these stones, two, two different kinds of stones that don't even look like each other. It's not a, it's, it's just an impression. But, you know, here, here's, this, here's this rainbow that's uh, over the, the throne. It's something, it's a glorious rainbow. It's, it's like an emerald. It's not just a normal rainbow. John's just telling us this is a special rainbow. Something excellent, something captivated, something captivating to our minds, something reassuring here. Why would it be reassuring to see a rainbow when we're thinking about God as our creator revealed to us? Because God showed his commitment with the rainbow to preserve the world, okay, for himself. After the great flood, what was he actually doing with the flood? He was cleansing the earth because he was preserving it. So Noah and his family were preserved. The wicked were washed away. That's what God's going to do at the last day on the judgment with fire, by fire. But the point is, he is committed to preserving the earth for himself, for his glory, for his people. We will inherit the earth. Jesus told us that. The meek will inherit the earth. He was quoting from Psalm 37 and other places in the Old Testament where it says that. So we're going to... This is, this is what... This is what we're being shown here, that, that his reign is aimed at and committed to the preservation of the earth. So when we see all these terrible things happening, earthquakes and wars and destructions and fires and all kinds of things that go on in the world, it's not going to all be destroyed. It will be destroyed in the sense of 
everything will be burned, but to be purified. And the new heaven and the new earth will be this earth. We're told in Romans 8 that it groans and travail until the manifestation of the sons of God. So there are these great disturbances in the history of the world, but they are all disturbances with a purpose. God is preserving the world for his people. In verse 4, we see the symbol of our worship that has been sanctified to him. We have been sanctified to him. There are, in verse 4, the 24, 24 additional thrones that are mentioned. And on those thrones, each one is an elder reigning with him. Now, who is said to reign with him in the opening of this book? We are, as kings and priests, those that he has redeemed. We reign with him as kings and priests on the earth. What do priests do? They offer sacrifices to God. What do kings do? They have dominion. They, they have control. It's people that Christ has redeemed to be with him, reigning with him. We are all meant to have dominion over God's creation, to rule it gloriously rather than to be returned to dust. The elders represent the saints then who reign on the earth. Again, these are symbols that represent. It's not like you could go and say, oh, look, there's Paul. You know, it's that's not the these are just images of the fact that the earth is connected with the church is connected with God. Elders are the ones that, that are the representatives of the church before God here. And so here they are. They're not angels. Sometimes people say these are angels. And I can say definitively they are not angels. Do you know why? If you go on to chapter 5, they praise God because you redeemed us. They re praise Christ because you redeemed us by your blood. Angels are not redeemed by the blood of Christ. People are. So we should not think that we're looking at something happening up there. Again, it's visions of our relationship, the people here with him who is there. It could be visions of people that have already gone to be with him as well. It's the whole church. Some of us are up there. Some of us are still down here. But the whole church is worshiping God as our creator. Okay, so, so we're reigning with Christ in the heavenly places. We're told that. Ephesians, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We are now, even though we're on the earth. So this is, this is what we're looking at. What do they have, though? Okay, Christ, what has he done? Christ has clothed us with white robes. Remember, he promised to do that to the seven churches. Robes of victory and purity. He has imputed righteousness. What do the robes do? They cover our sin. Remember, he told the uh, Laodiceans, you know, you guys are naked. Like, you, you need to have covering. You need to have the clothes that I will give you that will cover your sin because you don't cover your sin. I've got the clothes that do that. We come before Him in righteousness. He is producing also an actual righteousness of obedience in us as He sanctifies us, and we're, it's going to be perfect at the end. The crowns, what are those? He's promised that. It's the Stephanos, again, the crowns of the victor, the reward of the victor. These are the overcomers that Jesus spoke to. Those who overcome, who are reigning on earth by the power of grace. They have overcome Satan and his temptations. They're described that way later on. That's why we're depicted, the church is depicted reigning with Christ with white robes and thrones. I mean, and in, in, uh, in, in crowns, on thrones. That, that's 
that's what we, the picture is. This is us, brothers and sisters. And then the thunder and lightning flashing with voices flashing from the throne. That's the next thing that we see. What does that point to? The majestic, authoritative voice of the one who sits on this throne speaking into our lives. That's what changes us as Christians. We hear the voice of the Son of God. We hear the voice of God Almighty and we say, God has spoken to me. I have to repent and follow Him. I can do nothing else. God has promised salvation to me. It is sure because God has spoken. And He opens His word to our heart. And we're able to go forward. The thunder, the lightning, the voices, they, they all come forth from this reigning throne. What do we think of when we see those images? We think of Sinai. What happened there? God spoke. And it shook the earth. His powerful voice came to His people with authority. And they said, we're undone. We're, don't, don't let God speak to us. We can't live if God speaks to us like this. We're, we're overwhelmed by the authoritative voice. The same voice that then comes and says, your sins are forgiven. The Son of God has, has died on the cross. So we're reminded of Sinai, but we're also reminded of the powerful voice of our salvation. It is here the symbol of the authority that the Lord has in His people. The sound and the lightning are symbolic of His authoritative word that He reveals to His elect. The word comes to you if you're a believer. It comes to you with gravity. It comes to you with authority. It's something that you can't say, oh, I don't care about that. It grabs you. It lays hold of you. His truth, once brought to sinners, cannot be denied. The next thing, the seven spirits. Still in verse 5. Obviously, we know what those refer to. We've run into them before in the vision in the earlier chapter. The Holy Spirit. Does that mean there's seven Holy Spirits? No, this is visions. Don't forget that. This is showing, it's depicting things that are true about the Holy Spirit. It's not what the Holy Spirit looks like. Okay, it, He looks like it in a spiritual way, but not in a, these are not physical uh, pictures of God. We don't depict Him that way. Okay, so, so it's the Holy Spirit that God gives to His people that they might walk in fellowship and communion with Him. The number seven is symbolic of completeness, of fullness, of wholeness. Okay, it speaks of the fullness of the Spirit as the one who is all-powerful and who knows all things. Remember, the, we, we saw in the future, it talks about this, the eyes, and it talks about the horns the, the, uh, of the Spirit. And uh, that, that's power, omniscience, and it's also um, like, or, or omnipotence, and it's omniscience. It's uh, seeing all things, the eyes. So the Spirit goes together with the Word. We just saw the authoritative Word. Well, it is the Spirit who actually brings the Word to our heart. He brings light and heat. He's a lamp, a burning lamp, so that the Word... Remember when the disciples um, were on the road to Emmaus and they spoke to Jesus Christ? And they say, did not the Word that He spoke burn within us? It's like that's how the Word is. It, it lays hold of you. It, it grasps you. That's what we're talking about. We are the redeemed and the Spirit dwells in us. Okay, so we need to... We, we were supposed to be... We should have been filled with the Spirit... Before, we were before we fell. Okay, when God created us, we were always meant to have the Holy Spirit. Human beings are always meant to have the Holy Spirit. It's their way of being connected with God. When we fell, we were cut off from the Spirit. When we're born again, the Spirit comes back. So we're renewed again. 
in the Spirit of God. And that, and that he comes to us in a way of uh, salvation as well. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Get carried away here. Okay, verse 6. We're told that there is a sea before the throne. Now, we need to think about the Bible again. What do we think about when we think about God and thrones and a sea? What do we have in the Old Testament? Solomon built the temple, which was patterned after the, these spiritual things that we're looking at today. What was the sea? It was a bronze sea that stood out in the courtyard at the temple where the priests would wash, where they would wash things, sacrifices and implements and things, and they would wash themselves for purification because we're unclean. This is not a bronze sea, but it's a sea of glass-like crystal. What does it symbolize? What else but purification? We're purified. We have a greater baptism than they had in the Old Testament. That symbolizes the washing that we have by the bloodshed of Jesus Christ and by the baptism of His Holy Spirit. We baptize people with water. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. The church comes to the Lord as those who have been cleansed by Him. How can these elders be before Him? Because they've been washed. They've been washed by the Lord. Purified. Sanctified. Cleansed by His own divine power and grace through Christ crucified and the Spirit poured out. So the law thunders forth and convicts us, but the same authority cleanses us and says, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. It purifies the elect. It washes away our sin. So by this washing, we have both a new record, so there's nothing on our record anymore to make us guilty, and we also have a new life and a new heart because we have been changed by the renewing of the Holy Spirit so that we now walk with God. Powerful, powerful images. What else do we see about the church? Finally, from the middle of verse 6 on into verse 7, we're introduced to these four living creatures as further tokens of our relationship with God as the church militant. Now, I want to say this gets very difficult here. I read, I read about other, um, besides outside of the Reformed church as well, you know, different things of what people think about what these, um, these creatures are, that are, or these living creatures. And I tell you, it's all over the place. But there was some consistency among some of the um, reformers that, that I looked at that is, is uh, very, very helpful, I think. But um, there are further tokens, in any case, of our relationship with God as a church militant. So what do they represent? Well, I think the view that fits the facts best is that they represent the ministers of the church. But I'll be honest, I went back and forth on this a lot. But they are seen, the ministers are seen to lead the elders that represent God's people in the worship of God. It doesn't mean that they're like a worship leader in the sense of a song leader or something like that. But it means that like setting up the parameters of worship and who God is, presenting these things and administering the ordinances that God has given us, um, Lord's Supper, all, you know, all the different things like that. They're seen to lead God's people in worship. Look at the description of these four living creatures from the middle of verse 6. And in the, middle of, in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in the back. 
The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. These are not just the same as the ones that were in Ezekiel. Again, visions can change because the vision is not an actual thing. It represents truths. So you can have, it was in Ezekiel where they had four faces on them of these different things. And here you have four creatures, each with a different face. So it doesn't, there, there's all kinds of different ways that these things can be depicted. Like the 24 elders, though, these in the next chapter do the same thing. They praise God for redeeming them by his blood. That's not the angels. It's not the cherubim. That's not in this case. They were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So that's what drives me and others to say, many of the reformers, to say that these probably represent ministers in the church who are responsible for the worship in the church. Their faces perhaps show their characteristics, a lion. There's different things that uh, different ministers have different characteristics even. And it's not like these are, you know, that's Bill and Charlie and Tom, Minister Bill and Minister Tommy, Pastor over there. It's not, again, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a representation of all the ministers of the church, representation of all of the people of the church is what we're seeing here, worshiping God. So all together in a composite way, face like a lion, courageous, strong. Uh, you have other ministers that are like a calf or an ox, a servant. You know, they're, they're busy serving and very, very good at serving. Others are like men, wise, understanding. Others are like an eagle, um, often shown in Scripture to provide care and protection for God's people, to be swift. Um, you know, in the early church, interestingly, they had something like that too. They didn't see these as angels much in the early church. There arose a, a whole kind of tradition that, that uh, these living creatures here were associated with the four evangelists. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, they said, let's see, how was it? Matthew is the man. Mark was the lion. Luke was the lowly servant, calf or ox. And John was the eagle. <laughs> so that became kind of a widespread in the church. And I tell you, I've told you, there's all kinds of different things in these. But in any case, they also saw it as us and those who led us. And I'd be happy for it to be the evangelist too and the interpretation, that's fine. Because what do they do? They're the ones that gave us the word of God that connects us and leads the church represented by the 24 elders into association with God. So it's, it's a great picture too. And uh, we can learn from, from all of these pictures. In any case, they are well equipped to lead. They have eyes to keep watch over God's people. They have wings to go about in service to God and his people. One of the reasons I prefer for it to be ministers though is because I think it's, it's an ongoing thing. It's not like these four guys that are gone now. And uh, actually, John was there too, right? He was, he's seeing the vision. So did John say, oh, look, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> is, is, that, uh, is that what we have going on here? So whatever. As the passage goes on, we're told that these four living creatures um, stir the 24 elders who represent the entire church to worship the Lord. And that brings us to our third point. Okay. Our worship of our creator and sustainer is shown in this chapter. The living creatures lead the worship and the elders and the people follow their lead so that the church worships in harmony. The church is not a place where everybody does their own thing. It's not a place where everybody comes together like Paul 
describes the chaos at Corinth, and everybody has a private revelation, and somebody's doing a prophecy over here, and two people are prophesying at the same time. No, it's an orderly affair, and there's a leading going on, and everybody's unified together, worshiping God in an orderly manner. Um, they do not stop worshiping him, it says in verse 8. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. God is everywhere praised. You know, the, uh, Psalm 72 talks about him being praised all over the world, you know, from the, the rising of the sun to its setting as it goes, it goes all around the world that God is constantly worshipped now. And when the living creatures worship, whenever they do, they stir up the 24 elders, the church. So look at, look at that in, um, in verse 9 through 11. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, so they're leading in worship, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, not before the living creatures, before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and glory and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and we are created. That's what we do when we come to church. We give the glory to God as the one who made it. That's what we're doing, people. We need to take seriously our worship. I really want to encourage you. We need to be less sloppy in our worship as a congregation. We've got to, you know, we need to, sometimes people are out there in the foyer talking when we've already had the call to worship. Let's, let's get in here and, and, and worship the Lord. You know, we're here to present ourselves before our God. And He is the one who reigns in, in majesty above. Well, now let's turn our attention to what uh, they're, they're praising. You know, what about God are they praising? The most outstanding attribute, we've already seen that he's on the throne, but the most outstanding attribute here in their praise, they do not rest day or night saying, holy, holy, holy. Holiness speaks of his complete and unfathomable otherness. That he is God and we are creatures. There is this huge distinction between creator and creature. Okay, God is the one who is above all. And not only that, but one of the things that became a striking difference between God and us after the fall was the purity. So holiness speaks of purity too. He is God-like, always pure, always holy, never defiled by sin or uncleanness while we are. So that's one of the things that stands out now about holiness that we're fallen is that we're polluted, He's not. But originally, of course, we were not polluted, but He's God and we're mere creatures. So we have both of those things that would, would flow along with holiness. So we're called then to be holy as He is holy. We come before Him. We need to cast... Don't come before God with your sins. Don't come before God with sin that you haven't confessed, that you're holding on to. You're going to be miserable. You can't, you can't commune with God. You can't worship God if you haven't repented of your sin and looked to Christ for your cleansing. It was to our great shame that we fell from our righteousness, but His ministry in Christ was to restore us. And His work is complete so that we can come before God as those who have been purified and sanctified. We saw the, the, um, the, the sea, the washing that represents the cleansing that we have through Christ. It's represented by purification waters of, of baptism, a sea of crystal, you know, a beautiful thing. 
it will be a very it will be very glorious indeed when God's work is is fully complete in us. We don't love the holiness the way we should. We think of holiness as kind of a, a, a strapped thing, kind of a restrictive thing. No, holiness is an expansive thing where you get to emerge into all the full glory of what it is to be a human being made in the image of God. That should be our great desire. Next thing, they worship him as the Almighty. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He has power to do whatever he wishes. No one can in the least hinder him when he sets out to do something. You can't slow him down. You can't, you can't do anything. Um, he repeatedly displays his almighty power to his people. When he first called them out of Egypt, then he said, I'm going to show that I'm Lord. And he destroyed Egypt, showing again and again that he was Lord. He opened the Red Sea. He did all these things. And he was constantly saying, I did this to show you that I am Lord. I am the almighty. I am the ever living one. It's hard for us to grasp the, the power of the one who who spoke, and the whole world <laughs> came into being. <laughs> you think, you, you know, he speaks, let, let the earth be filled with, with life and te- teeming with animals and all these things. And there's all these, you know, there's a leopard and a, a bear and a rabbit and <laughs> all, all these trees and all these things. He spoke and all this stuff. We, 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 he, he's the Almighty. He is the one who is worthy of our worship and our praise. And we have that association with him. We've been renewed. We've been brought back to God to worship him as our creator. He is worthy of all praise and honor. And then finally, uh, the third thing, that he is eternal and eternally engaged with us. He is praised as the one who was and who is and who is to come. Now, it's not just that he is the one who was and who is and who will be. The one who was and is to come, who, who is and who was and who is to come. He's going to, it's talking about him coming to us. Again, this is about his association with us. It speaks especially of his coming to do his work in the world. Our great hope is that he's coming. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. That's how this book ends. He will come and we will meet him to welcome him. And he will set all things in beautiful order. And as Revelation will show us as we move on. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. He is to come. These words are at the end of the book. They are also in the Lord's Prayer. What did Jesus teach us to pray? Hallowed be your name. Glory be to your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. This is what we're looking for, the one who is to come and establish that perfect kingdom that he's promised. My brothers and sisters, see then that you all join in the praise of our creator. Look at verse 10 again. The 24 elders fall down before him. That's us who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. We, brothers and sisters, are here for him. Let us keep that straight. We are here for him. We're here to honor him 
to glorify Him, to praise Him, to magnify His name. Is He for us? Yes, He's very much for us. But we are here for Him. Let us take our great delight in our majestic God who reigns forever and ever. Let us worship Him as His people all the days of our life. Please stand and let's call on His name and give thanks to Him. Oh Lord God, we've heard things that are, are just glorious things today. Lord, who is like you, O oh Lord? The one who, who is and who was and who is to come. The one who cares about us, who comes to us, who sets things straight here. The one who has the rainbow. The one who's committed to the preservation of this, this world that rebelled against you. You're preserving it. You're, you're purifying it. You're bringing about its... Is perfection. We thank you, Lord, that you've, you've gathered us as kings and priests to you. You've given us white robes. You've given us crowns, Lord, of victory that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. We're able to go and serve you, O Lord, all the days of our life. Satan cannot, cannot destroy us. He cannot pull us away from you. He can hinder us in ways in this world. But, Father, he will be completely undone and overthrown. And we praise you, O Lord, for the for the glorious hope that we have. Father, these, these pictures of, of purification, of the, the great sea that's in front of your throne, that, where, where there's washing and cleansing and purification. Lord, there's so many things that are, are glorious for us to consider of our relationship with you. And we pray, Lord, most of all, we pray that we would live in this relationship, that we would live in Christ as those who have been redeemed. For, Lord, there is no way we can come to you but through Christ. And we're going to see that when we get into chapter 5. And we praise you, Lord, for that clear revelation that is given to us. These visions are so, so helpful to us that we might understand better our relationship with you. Oh, Lord, pour out your spirit upon us that we might be able to receive these things and that they might really change us. Father, help us to come before you as our God, especially when we come to worship you. But Father, even as we just walk about in our lives, for you're on your throne all the time. You're reigning all the time. And help us, Lord, not to be uneasy or distressed when we hear of wars and rumors of wars and chaos. And when we even hear of people turning away from you and things like that, Lord, we know that you're still reigning on your throne. You're still accomplishing your purposes. Nothing will prevent you from doing what you have said. It will all be done according to your purpose and your plan. For you are the one who has all authority and power. And we praise you and we worship you and we magnify your name. Oh Lord, you are worthy of all honor and glory and power. You are the one who is seated on the throne forever and ever. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of your glory. We pray in the name of our Savior. Amen. Our Lord, now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.